Welcome to the IBCD podcast. I'm Jim Neuheiser, the Executive Director of IBCD. have with me Bob Galdsworth, the Operations Director, and his wife, Anne-Marie. And our special guest is Dave Harvey. And Dave has written several books that have been an incredible blessing to me and uh, to many of us, including When Sinners Say I Do, Am I Called, The Rescuing Ambition, and Letting Go. Is that the right? Letting Go. Yes. Co-authored with a guy named Paul Gilbert. Uh, just to thank you for these. Everything you've ever written has not just been useful in my counseling, but in my own life. They're all areas of of life and ministry that perplexed me in some way. And uh, and so they resulted in, in first thoughts and then messages and then books. And that was exactly where I had wanted to start with you is that as you've had these books and maybe for me as a pastor counselor trying to teach others to counsel just seems like you're addressing such important issues is it through your pastoral experience leadership training experience how do you get going on these projects yeah i think i think the pastoring is an important component because you know any person that's pastoring is having to deal with the reality of how to apply truth, you know, to people in the church, and and is both um, understanding and and engaging them on the level of where they're living and suffering and challenged, but also just having to think about where Scripture goes with that. And so I I think that each of the books that I've written emerged out of having to having to help people maybe with one celebrated exception or not so celebrated exception but in my mind it was and that and that would be the rescuing ambition book um, because ambition was just something that I in trying to find uh, any material on it uh, even in history in Christian history there was so little written on it and I was observing this trend where, uh, it seemed like there was a vision of humility that was that was gripping evangelicals and and men in particular that was undermining the organ of ambition. You know, like uh, men becoming so modest they aspired to nothing, mm. and uh, and so it was an attempt to you know to get my hands around that and then to call for a rescue of of biblical. Ambition. Yeah, and let's talk about that for a minute, because I know for myself is you're, you're trying to write books, and that gives you attention, or you're a preacher, and you hope people will come to your church. And so how do you, in your own heart, even distinguish between your motives of wanting to honor the Lord? You know, Psalm 90, teach us to number our days. We want to present, establish the work of our hands versus I want to be successful and highly thought of. Yeah, I, I assume that my motives are mixed and I go into a project assuming that um, that there's any number of, of things present and temptations that are going to come that are going to be a part of the writing process and then once the book is published I'm going to have to walk that narrow line between wanting to see it get out because I put time into it and I believe in the content of it versus I want my name to be great I want my name out there and my name associated with this work. So I've never been able to, you know, to write or publish without it exposing 
um, all kinds of selfish ambition and and you know desires for the wrong kinds of things. But I don't think that that necessarily invalidates the uh, the pursuit. I in some ways I think it makes me more self-aware and uh, and maybe more honest about the reality of those struggles, so that I can be quicker to apply apply the gospel. Probably most of our listeners haven't written books, but many of them are counseling, and they'll meet with a couple people a week, and they have an ambition to see lives radically changed, and people think they're amazing counselors. Or you probably have some pastors, same thing, where they're struggling along. So how would you speak to them in terms of dealing with those ambitions of they want to see success in ministry, even if it's they would never imagine getting a book published. They just like to see some lives change through counseling. Yeah, I think part of the intent of ambition is that it's it's uh, intended to drive us to God in prayer and to um, you know to expose our hearts before God and to make make it you know there's an aspiration there that we want to be able to go vertical with. Um, but also, I think in a corresponding way, it's supposed to drive us towards community. And so the most dangerous people are the ones that have ambitions that go undeclared or don't believe that their ambitions can be selfish and don't have a community with which they're interacting with uh, or to regarding the things that they desire and long for and aspire. You know, it's interesting that um, when, when Paul goes to define the nature of pastoral ministry or of being a shepherd in 1 Timothy 3. He says, if anyone desires to be an overseer, or if anyone aspires to be an overseer, he, he desires a noble thing. So it's it, like right out of the gate, you know, the very first thing that, 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 that it, the content gets moved towards is aspiration and desire. So all of a sudden, that's in play, you know, for, for a guy that's going to be called to, to lead in the church, aspirations immediately in play for discussion. Paul sees it. He locates it there. He says, that's where the conversation begins, and, you know, you need to be talking about it. You made mention of you're in community, and I think some of that would be accountability. Uh, you, when you were in Pennsylvania, were in a position of leadership among your fellow leaders in the church, and now you... Also, that how do you have the people keeping you accountable in terms of your ambitions and addressing even these temptations in your life? Who from who outside of yourself is keeping watch over you in those areas? Yeah. Well, I've been in ministry for I think it's been thirty-three years, and uh, twenty-eight of them in the same church. And then I've been in two other churches and uh, different traditions. And so the accountability has looked a little different in each of those settings and, uh, and in each of those traditions. My goal in going into it has been to, to take responsibility for it and to seek to pursue it and to build what I need in order to be um, open and transparent and forthright all the way down to my level of, of temptation. And so I think that that has been, you know, in the, in the 
Philadelphia area where I pastored for 28 years, we had built a very robust um, community and a, uh, a sense of understanding that, that part of what community is is you're opening up your life. And then in the last two churches, those are certainly you know, values, but they're, they're, they were expressed in different ways. And, uh, and they weren't as intentional, and they're not as intentional on the pastoral level as they aspire to be. And so in a situation like that, I think, you know, I have to, I have to try to ensure that I pursue it and that I don't become passive toward it. Um, and then I think with age also, you know, you, you find that you don't have the same zeal or you get a sense for the patterns of your temptations and uh, and you, you know you're not necessarily updating guys on whole new a whole new level of temptations all the time. So there are these things that come with age too that I've noticed that I that in some ways I think encourage me and in some ways frighten me because I think they could they could lead very easily to passivity and plateauing and kind of an undermining of of you know my zeal for uh, the very community that I've sought to spend my life trying to build and, and to a certain extent embody. You know, we need people around us. I think part of it is we get older and you have younger men around you or less experienced men around you. It takes a work of God in their lives and in your life that they have the boldness to come to you and ask the hard questions or challenge you on things. Yeah, I think part of it is the, the best leaders are, are going to assume responsibility to kind of level the playing field by acknowledging their own weakness and challenges and difficulty because I do think that the older they get, the more people assume that's less necessary or the more the generational issues will come into play so that they won't have people that feel statured enough or have people that feel like they're insightful enough for whatever reason, you know, to to speak into it. I was really affected years ago um, by the uh, the passage in John one where it's talking about Jesus. I think it's like one eighteen, and it talks about how 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 Jesus made the Father known, and um, and and the wordage in there mean, means literally that. Christ exegeted the Father that in the incarnation, in Christ's coming, he unpacked God. He unfolded. He, so so what, I, what I infer from that is that part of what the incarnation represents is, is God not only moving toward us, but unpacking and exegeting and, and uh, you know, disclosing himself. And, and so I, take, I took from that a community application in saying that if I want to be like Christ, then I'm going to be not only moving toward people, but moving toward them in disclosing myself. You've talked about transparency with your fellow leaders and to some extent transparency in your community, whatever immediate community you're in in the church. But in terms of public ministry, this is something I've thought a lot about. When I read When Sinners Say I Do and when I have listened to you give talks based upon it, you're very transparent about your own marriage, your own struggles, your own shortcomings. And 
in terms of ministry, and this could be private counseling where we share our own struggles with our counselees, or in public preaching, teaching, writing, how do you figure out how transparent to be and is there a risk in some ways of exposing too much? And how do you deal with that? Well, um, I, I think that one of the books of the Bible that has had the largest effect on me in wrestling through that very question is Second Corinthians, where you have Paul uh, under assault by the super apostles and uh and the and they're they're seeking to seduce the corinthians away from paul and trying to build up you know their own following and they're they're making all these criticisms and all these charges against paul he's not a good orator he's he's only strong when he's away he's he's only bold when he's away he's got these weaknesses and so their whole charge against paul is is you know what as a man and as a leader he's pretty weak and so Paul's entire defense in 2 Corinthians, beginning in like chapter 10, is it's like, oh, you think I'm weak? I'm far weaker than you know. I'm, I'm gloriously weak. And, you know, this many beatings and this many, this many times at sea. And, 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 and then he goes on and on. And then he begins talking about how once he had to be lowered in a, in a basket from the wall. And then the one claim that the... Uh, that the super apostles had is that he never had any spiritual experiences. And so he rolls into that chapter 12 and starts talking about this incredible spiritual experience of having been to the third heaven. But the point of that story is not, hey, I got street cred. I was been to the third heaven. The point of that story is even having gone to the third heaven, I came away with a thorn and it resulted in my additional weakness. So I'm going to boast in my weakness. I'm going to glory in my weakness. My my point being then that I I think that our leadership is most clo is closest to Paul's and and, uh, and closest to Scripture when people are experiencing us in the reality of not only our strengths but our weaknesses and not only the the image that we want to portray but the real vulnerability that we have. And I think there's a way, you know, there's a way to traffic in your vulnerability that kind of gains current, it's the currency, you know, and you, you pay that, and then the people perceive you as being a humble guy. And I think we have to be perceptive and discerning enough to break beyond that and, and give people real illustrations. I think particularly in counseling, which where, I mean, you know, as, as biblical counselors, we're, we're trying to give people a sense that we're, we're fellow sinners here, and we're going to God, you know, because we, we all need the gospel, and we have God's word here. And so I think that that leveling of the playing field is really important to the counseling task. Are there things that may be unwise or inappropriate to share in terms of your own weaknesses and struggles? Well, I think certainly that things that, that might expose other people that are in the picture or in your story where you haven't cleared that with them uh, or might portray their weakness and not just yours or theirs more than yours. So uh, I assume Kim got to read when sinners say oh, I yes. do before it was published. Oh, yes, she did. And typically, you know, if I'm going to use the kids uh, in any illustrations, 
I'm going to call them and ask their permission. And uh, occasionally, in the past, when I used to use them, I used to ask their permission. Now I try not even to use them very often uh, because I feel like that's one of the ways that pastors can can kind of traffic in that transparency. Hey, let me roll out a couple of couple of stories about my kids, and and we all feel like family here. I had to deal with my kids when they were in the home that if I mentioned them without their permission, they got a buck. Oh, nice. And I paid out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, they should have held out for more. <laughs> <laughs> there have been times it had to be a silver dollar. <laughs> Did y'all have questions for Dave? You know, I actually wanted to take it down a step. So you're talking about kind of being in a leadership position, a pastor. Um, and, and what you're really talking about is authentic relationships, authentic community inside whether it's a church or, or other, you know, just the body of Christ, right? As pastors, and Jim, you can talk about this as well, how do you uh, develop that culture of authenticity in community where people are sharing their struggles with one another and able to counsel one another and care for one another? I think that's a very important topic for churches today uh, because I, I don't believe, at least in my experience, that we in the church community are doing it all that well. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think that uh, anytime you're going to take a church, if you're a pastor and you have the privilege of preaching, anytime you're going to take a church in a direction, doing it in preaching to begin with or in preaching as part of the process is, is really important. That, you know, that pulpit is, is akin to a steering wheel. Um, where you can take the church in certain directions, I, not not in a standalone way and not in a manipulative way, but I do think that preaching in preaching from God's word into something that you want to see or you believe God's calling you to see and is clear from Scripture builds conviction, it builds faith towards God, and it makes a claim that this is something I need to be doing if. You know, even if I came from a background with abuse, even if I came from a home that only had one parent, or my family was totally dysfunctional, or I'm excessively shy and I've always been told I'm an introvert, you know, it's, Scripture still makes a claim upon me for community and hospitality and things like that. But if we don't put the Word of God in play, then there's no authority calling people to anything. So I think you know, just in, in preaching is one important, that's one important step. And the other thing is that I, I think that our, our own example is going to be really important in, in trying to take the church in the direction of community. So any preacher slash pastor that's trying to have community in the church but isn't himself involved in a small group or isn't himself in meaningful relationships with people outside of the pastoral team, uh, or isn't himself have some degree of accountability, and I would suggest in the local church, not outside of the local church. Um, if that's not happening, it's going to be really hard for that church to experience genuine community. Because when, when it is happening, it just influences and impacts his life and the life of his wife in so many different ways, it, it, it bleeds out. People are aware. It comes out in sermon illustrations and you know things like that. So I, I think those two, they're not the only two, but those two are important components in building community. 
And maybe there's a follow-on question here. It's um, so in some cases when there's deep-seated sin of a, of a leader in the church, um, who do they go to? And, and I imagine to some level it's elders or, or other pastors, but I've also heard pastors say things like, well, I need to go outside the church. So can you share a little bit about what your thoughts are with somebody that may be dealing with a, a, a struggle, a sinful struggle in, you know, in their current role? Yeah, if a pastor, you mean? A pastor, yeah, or somebody else in high Yeah, leadership. I think one of the, one of the features... Um, that I think is common in the celebrity pastor phenomenon uh, and common to a lot of the failures that have taken place among celebrity pastors is in most of the situations they had an accountability structure that was outside of the church. Um, people that weren't, weren't living life with them, that didn't have a sense of context, that weren't um, experiencing their behavior and their leadership in the reality of you know where, where it was being exercised, and so could could basically speak this free pass for them um, that they then could use to um, to stifle or discourage legitimate criticism or dissent locally. So I think that. Uh, there's got to be some kind of local authority in order for anybody in the any p pastor in the church to be held accountable there has to be a local authority and uh and there's got to be a conviction that part of the reason why God has given us this this team is so that we can grow together so that we can pray together so that we can be an encouragement to one another but also so that we can you know, we can hold one another accountable, and uh, and that has to have teeth. So that doesn't mean that somebody's being hauled before the church, but it does mean that there's recourse. If, if there's somebody in the church that comes forward and says, hey, you know, this pastor has done this or that, there's got to be some kind of defined recourse for that, that person in the church to have a voice and to have a hearing and, you know, and, and to know that that there's objective, there's, an, there's genuine desire to hear truth uh, from the leaders of the church. Well, Dave, we are just so thankful for your ministry. Um, your, I think your years of experience as a pastor and training other leaders and working with other leaders uh, shows through in your writing and your broader ministry as well. And uh, your books have been a tremendous blessing to me and the people I've been training and counseling. And we're just so grateful you came to our conference again. It was wonderful last time, and it's great this time as well. And your first message meant a lot to me and to my wife personally. Well, I, I mentioned earlier, and I want to say it again, that I, I feel very honored and privileged to be invited to any event that the IBCD is doing uh, because of your mission and your commitment to train biblical counselors and to do that intentionally and to ensure that it's happening in churches. Um, for me as a pastor, what that means is that there are, there are hurting people that are going to be helped. There are pastors that are going to be trained. There are church cultures that are going to be ultimately affected. There are families that are going to be strengthened. So I, I believe very 
deeply in what you're doing, and I'm, I'm grateful to be a part of it. Thanks for listening to the IBCD podcast. While we aim to provide these resources for free, there are always ongoing costs to produce and distribute our material. If you've benefited from our resource library, we ask that you consider supporting IBCD financially. Even the smallest gift helps to maintain and grow our library.